Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We do realize, uh, you've got to realize by now, after 13 years, you don't know that we're on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and Monday mornings at 1 a.m.? And you don't know that our podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Player FM, as I run out of breath? Well, that's where we are, and uh, our guests uh, are linked to our website. We link to their website, I should say, and you can go there, continue your evolutionary process, uh, continue your personal growth and development, and learn some new things. I'm always learning new things on these programs. And if you are learning new things and you're enjoying what we're doing, we would love to have you, uh, if you could, financially support us uh, so that we can continue doing these broadcasts. We're having a great time doing it. And uh, I'm going to keep doing it just as long as I can. I just turned 60, so I've got another 40 years to go. Because as you've heard me say many times, I have to outlive my great-grandmother who lived to be 100. So there you go. So if you'd like to help us out financially, PayPal, Patreon accounts are available. And we certainly hope that uh, you can help us. And we thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have and to those who will. All right. Well, today's program is going to take us... Uh, quite honestly, to a paradigm that I, I'm excited about. My wife and I are both very, very interested in to the extent that we want basically the world to be our country, not America, not the American continent, which includes North, South, and Central America, uh, not the Pacific Northwest or whatever other the planet is my home. I should be able to go anywhere I want, do the things that I love doing, like interviewing people about the things they're doing, and uh, without any problem. Uh, I, my passport, U.S. passport, has expired, has been for probably 10 years now. But there is, I believe, and we're going to find out more from our guests, our guests, actually, who are going to join us here on the program uh, we're going to talk <clears throat> with Arthur <coughs> Kanagas, and he <clears throat> is part of a, a film that is out there called The World is My Country, but there's, a, th there's just so much more. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us on the program. It's, it's a pleasure to have you back. It's been a while. Yes, it has, and it's a real pleasure to see you again right here on our home, planet Earth. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would like you to introduce uh, your guest, who is now our guest, because any friend of Arthur's is a friend of ours. Uh, if you would, please uh, introduce uh, the, the woman who is joining you here on the program today and how she plays, what role she plays in all this. Well, Melanie is producer on her film. I'm the director of the film, The World is My Country, which you just say is your goal. And, and Melanie is the producer who has been with me from the beginning, putting together this remarkable uh, documentary about a most intriguing guy, a guy whose only nationality was the planet. For 60 years, he lived as a citizen of no nation, not a citizen of the U.S., not of any other country, only the entire planet, the first official world citizen. He was called world citizen number one and widely known in the press in 1948 and for lived until uh, 2013. Uh, and uh, uh, Melanie, thank you so much for joining us on the program. I've watched the documentary probably a couple of times. Right. Uh, I love the fact that most of it's in black and white, but then again, most of the material that's available uh, on film is in black and white. Um, 
there are those that I have been involved with uh, over the years in my career who would absolutely, they would find this idea so abhorrent that I would be willing, and I've said this before, I would be willing to exchange my American citizenship for Irish citizenship so I could move there. And then I found out that Italy has a plan where if you have Italian relatives, ancestors, you could get Italian citizenship and then basically you can travel anywhere in the EU as long as it stays together. Um, but this gentleman, and we'll get into him and his name and so forth in a moment, uh, he's saying, no, 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 no. We want, we want a world passport. And he had one during his life, but it wasn't necessarily recognized by every country on the planet. And today there, if I'm correct, there are 195 countries. Yes. That have, that have stamped it at least once or more. Is there a world passport today that I can get that will allow me to travel to many of these countries, Ireland included? Yes. Well, okay, let me give you the answer, and maybe Melanie could pull out her world passport. I should have, uh, should have brought mine. But what, uh, uh, what uh, the world passport, uh, well, first of all, uh, was created in, 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 back in 1952, and they've been issued from the World Service Authority in Washington, D.C. ever since. And they have been, they have been used by uh, thousands and thousands of people. Uh, as we've said, almost, almost every nation in the entire planet has stamped them with visas or entry and exit stamps at least once. But here, there's Melanie's there's passport. You can see it mm -hmm. shows, shows the cover, too. Uh, shows the cover, and uh, there it is, the inside. The world How many stamps passport. do you have there, Melanie? Okay, this one is a newer uh, passport, so this one doesn't have stamps yet, but uh, okay. as soon as I can get out there, I will. I had uh, two Homeland Securities, one from uh, Paris, France. Um, of course, uh, Easter Island was amazing. Uh, so, yes, you can get it stamped. Basically, what uh, I did was I would show my national passport, which is happens to be American, and then just say, would you mind stamping this one? And th that gives it uh, more power. Arthur will talk a little bit more about that. But mm -hmm. um, it's th this is a trust thing between people. This is like a contract. And recognizing it um, just takes us recognizing it, like we are recognized money. You know, we all agree that money, this money is something worth something. And so the more people that use this, the uh, more it'll be um, powerful and valuable. And um, so that's what we need to work towards, basically. And but the idea of the passport is to actually end up um, being like before, where you could travel without a passport. So um, there's a lot to it. And it's an interesting concept. And uh, it's a humanitarian tool, something that you can feel, touch, and hold, uh, saying that you're one with the planet. You can say, you know, I am a world citizen. I belong. I'm a human being. I should be able to travel anywhere I want. That's your human right. And that's part of the Declaration of Human Rights, Article 13.2, that was signed by, uh, that passed unanimously. There was the Russians who, who bowed out, so it passed. And um, that's available. That whole document is available for us to use and keep our human rights. In fact, Amnesty International uses that quite a bit. 
So, so let me ask you, um, uh, Melanie, why? Why do you have a world passport? Why is it important for you to have that world passport? And probably the most important part of that question would be, when did you feel like this was something you needed to have? I think um, people really think about it. They will understand that if you really think about it, you should have the right to go anywhere. Um, but I think we're taught so early on that you part, you're part of this small group. Oh, you're American, you're German, you're Italian. And so you get used to that and you think you're, you know, you, it's hard to move your mind up one level and that's what you need to do. For us, I think for the world to work, for us to get through what we're dealing with, we all have to work together. And I think a lot of us, like 95% or even more, uh, would rather not live in a world where there's war and we're using all resources and doing bad things and just for money. So I think um, this would help a lot of people to move their mind up one level. You can be a citizen of your city, your country, and now one level up the world. So I think it's a mind twist. You really, I think a lot of people do need this identification papers, really think in your mind, yes, I care about the world, what's gonna to happen to it and what the future is gonna be like, and you know, not, let's not destroy it. So I care about that and I want the world to continue. So you think of that whenever you have a thought or a decision you have to make, What's it, what's, it gonna, uh, what's it gonna do to the future generations? And I think if we all did that, it would just be an easy way to uh, make this a world better place and to save the world for future generations, so. Well, then it's gonna make I, it very yeah. difficult if let's say we view the world as one country. Uh, and of course you can certainly hear the, the, the lyrics from the Beatles song, uh, Imagine. Uh, you can also hear the words of Baha'u'llah on the day that they showed the first pictures from space of the earth. And uh, they were of course already acknowledging that the earth is one country, there are no borders and so forth. Uh, and yet we also have in this day and age, we have a segment of society across the globe, not just in the United States. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. We're not gonna do away with the borders. We are Americans. And you are Mexicans and Germans and Irish and here are the borders. How do you talk to people who are of that mindset or are they even drawn to any of this? I mean, we've already seen what's going on out on the streets with the protests for the different movements, whether it's Black Lives Matter or um, the Me Too movement, uh, you know, and, and, and the list goes on and especially the issue regarding nationalism. Uh, I have a problem with nationalism more from the standpoint that uh, when you take that position, you take a superior position over everybody else. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that if you have ever been the subjugator, the superior individuals are those you subjugated. That's, that's just my, my thinking. Uh, for example, 400 years ago, the black people, the Africans were brought over here to be slaves. The superior ones were the Africans who were brought over here, not the white males who wanted slavery and, and wanted to subjugate. Uh, and and I'm, I, I'm learning that that is probably true more 
than not. Uh, but how do you how do you talk to somebody of a nationalistic perspective? And you know what? I'm going to ask Arthur. Can you can you can you talk to that before we have Melanie? Uh, yes. Well, first of all, uh, I think that the key thing that causes nationalism is uh, fear. You know, uh, and also it's 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 basically inculcated uh, from the time we're young. And you know, I've seen Gary in wonderful debates with people. He's going to be taking them to like military conventions and talking to people, and he he shakes up their minds and and gives them some new thoughts. Now, I think people are having a lot of their minds shaken up and they're, and they're resisting a lot of it. And some of them are trying to retro back. But the fact is that over and over again, you can't avoid the fact that it's one. I mean, every product you buy comes, you know, from places around the world. And if we, if we start up a war with China, how are we gonna, <laughs> there was a wonderful movie, uh, Christmas Without China, our light bulb, our Christmas lights would cost us $2,400 for a string of lights if we didn't have China. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I, I don't remember the exact price, but about that, it was, a. The point is that we are an interconnected planet and we are one. And we find that our film has some tremendous top power that many of the people who, because Gary is so disarming and he talks in such a simple way and he doesn't talk in all these high pollutant, uh, you know, concepts, he just tells this personal riveting story of what he went through and people are drawn into that story and an individual story touches their hearts. And these exact same people, you know, their hearts are open up. They're, they're contributing to, uh, care maybe, or to people helping others around the world, their hearts are touched when they see a needy child. You know, they, their hearts are there too. And I'll tell you what I think systematically has caused the problem. Um, the thing is that originally, when corporations were first created in Jefferson's day, they were chartered by the government to serve a public interest, like to build a railroad. And they had a 20-year charter. And if they violated their charter, it, could, it, would, it, would, it would be withdrawn. They were supposed to be under the people. But as they gain more and more power and money, uh, they were able to say, well, if you try to pull our charter, we'll take our jobs and everything, we'll go abroad. So, well, wait, 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 no, stay here, we'll cater to you. And so pretty soon you can control their pollution or other things, because then they they moved to the top and the people were underneath. And then they had so much funds, they could you know, buy all the politicians around the world, they can do all these things. And what happens is their profit goes up because we the people are locked in these boxes called nation states. Now the reality is that we the people are the superpower. We are the ones who have the power to save our world, to turn this all around, but, and we're the, we're the ones who can end our dependence on fossil fuel and everything else. But they can keep us from realizing that by keeping us in these separate boxes called nation states. And whenever they want to exert that power, whenever a politician wants to control the population, they have a boogeyman. Oh, there's the bad guy. We better watch out. I'm going to protect you from him. And then they take away more of your freedom. You know, people say we have to fight for wars for freedom. The reality is every war takes away our freedom. How do you think Hitler was able to do concentration camps? If we hadn't had a war, he couldn't take six million people and, 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 and fry them in concentration if there wasn't a war. War suddenly makes things allowable that are totally unallowable. And Gary, Gary came to an amazing realization. Let me tell you a little bit about his story. And this uh, we're was, talking about Gary Davis. Gary Davis, the subject of our movie called The World Is My Country. You can mm -hmm. go online to The World Is My Country. Um, he was a song and dance man on Broadway. He stood in for Danny Kaye. He was, he, he, he was here to make people laugh. He loved to perform. And he performed in our movie. He does the whole movie as a stage performance, telling this incredible story of his life. And... 
what happened is uh, he gets this huge part standing in for Danny Kaye on Broadway and World War II comes along and he's drafted and he chooses the Air Corps because he always wanted to fly and he's ordered to bomb the city of Brandenburg. And he says, my God, why am I blowing up people in their homes and schools and factories because they're on the wrong side of some invisible line that I can't even see from the air? And his own brother is killed and he's heartbroken and I'm doing this to other people's families. This is totally insane. And he comes back from the war and he's so troubled, he can't get into all the conversations and so on. And he says, oh my God, I see the Hiroshima footage. And he says, humanity is in trouble. What if I'm recalled? An active, I'm, you know, I'm in the reserves, what am I called to active duty? And I have to bomb Moscow, you know, and, and end the world. This is crazy. I've got to do something. But, but what can I do? I'm just an actor. So he goes to Paris, where the United Nations had his first meeting in 1948. And he officially gives up his United States citizenship. The, 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 they say, oh, well, what country do you become a citizen of? He's a citizen of the world. They say, well, there's no such thing. There is now. <laughs> so he, he offers himself to the UN as a first citizen. He's ordered to leave France. You can't be here without papers. But France has turned the keys to the Palais de Shiloh, where the UN was meeting. They, took, they gave an honorary key to them, declaring that territory international territory. So he brings, takes his sleeping bag. You see this is incredible footage of everything in, in this story. He rolls up his sleeping bag. He goes to lie on the, on the Palais steps. A policeman comes up in the morning, sir, you can't be here. Well, you know, for me, he shows him his refused to say, sure, orders to leave. Uh, I, I, I'm not allowed out there. <laughs> he says, what do you mean? That's, you're still in Paris. He says, yes, but this, is, this part has been declared world territory. He said, if you push me back into France, you'll be guilty of importing an illegal alien and you could go to jail. <laughs> well, the policeman's actual, you know, he has to get orders. Well, all the world's press come around him. Everybody surrounds him. All the French intellectuals, Jean-Paul Sartre, Albert Camus, Andre Guide, all these famous people come to his defense. Uh, they end up rallying 20,000 people at the velodrome, supporting rallies around the country, demanding that the UN recognize the rights of humanity. December 9th, 1948. The very next day, December 10th, the vote on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And the Soviets, who for three years had been saying, this is in, 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 you know, intruding with our internal sovereignty, fighting against it, they, they abstained, stepped aside, and let it get passed unanimously. And as Gary says, we'll never know why, but on December 9th, we took over, we the people. And, 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 and now we have that incredible document that that says all of us in the world have human rights. We have those human rights. But at, what happens is we don't get to exercise them because we're locked in this false box. And we'll talk to you a little later about how we can break out of that box and resume the power we have as the superpower who can save our planet. I've also felt, uh, and I will get to you, uh, Melanie, I also felt that, uh, or I actually feel that, um, the inability of the various governments uh, to allow free access to their countries is also denying them access to a culture that individuals now who are finding out through DNA uh, testing uh, they belong to. They didn't know they belong there. I mean, I, I've had my DNA tested as a child growing up in school, I used to tell everybody based upon what I was told, uh, I'm Heinz 57. 
Well, when I had my DNA tested, uh, it turns out that I actually come from five of the seven continents wow. on the planet. The world citizen. <laughs> so it's like, okay, 50, Heinz 57. I was right all along and didn't even know the numbers matched. Um, and it just is fascinating to me how we are being, we have been denied the, the ability to research who we really are. Now, here we are in 2020 that we've been declaring since September of 2019 as the year of perfect vision. We want people to go within to find that peaceful place, that calm, quiet place, to find that inspiration, that insight, uh, to find the answers to their questions. That's the only place that they're going to find the answers to their questions right. is to go within. And to and we've heard this phrase over and over again, philosophically, uh, know thyself. Mm -hmm. Know thyself. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't know yourself by looking in a mirror. Mm -hmm. You have to, in a manner of speaking, you've got to close your eyes. You've got to start listening to your intuition, that still small voice, higher self, the divine self, whatever you want to call it in order for us to yes. progress. And quite honestly, between you, me, and, uh, and Gary Davis, I've, I've, I'm 60. I am now 60 years of age. Mm -hmm. uh, and we haven't changed in one, in, in one sense. We haven't moved one iota for yeah. over 80, 90, 100 years. Because we keep doing the same things over and over again. Right. If I could jump in on the, on the spiritual center, uh, this was key to Gary's journey. Uh, uh, what happened is that after he had this incredible, uh, after he, he, he interrupted the UN to call on the nations of the world to form a government of, by, and for the people, and, and he was like way, Greta, way before Greta, talking to people at the UN, but he wasn't invited. He just did it, and uh, it riveted people around the world. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt responded to that and to this huge rally they had five days after this huge rally they had with the, with, 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 with the Universal Declaration getting passed. She wrote in her newspaper column across the country, she said, uh, how much better, she said the UN wasn't set up to create a government. This is a place where we can talk, let off steam and, and keep from, you know, otherwise we'd be on the battlefield, here we can be talking. But, you know, she said, how much better it would be if Mr. Davis would start then and there a worldwide international government. Uh, well, this, this blew Gary's mind. He couldn't believe that she's turning it back to him. Uh, and, and, you know, they had said, you know, step aside or a people's world assembly will arise in our, from our ranks. And she was kind of giving the clue, you know, well, okay, if you have a people's world assembly, do it. Well, you know, this was too overwhelming to Gary. He had millions of people expecting him to, 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 to help save the world at that point. When you see the footage, you won't believe the huge crowds he had and everything. And he finally had to uh, uh, retreat. The long story, he tried to go to Germany and rebuild the destruction of his bomb squads. But the key thing is that he uh, actually ended up <laughs> on his way to Germany, ended up uh, going to India, trying to walk from India to Germany. But in India, he met this guru. And this guru, Nataraja guru, uh, taught him well, just what you've been talking about, that power of being able to empty your mind, to be able to touch, tap into that power of the universe. And it was out of that 
that he then got the courage to regain his mission and to actually do what Eleanor Roosevelt said. To, <laughs> so, so he actually met with top lawyers and said, well, okay, so now how do we form a, a citizen-based government for the world? And they said, well, uh, you know, governments in exile are created by people declare it. No, you know, you don't apply for government. You know, you know, there's not a form you fill out. You know, people get together and they declare it. You've got 750,000 people signed up as world citizens. That's more people than many of the smaller nations in those days. Yeah. Uh, and they've declared governments, you know, you declare it. So he actually went out and declared a government of, by, and for the people of the world. Uh, and then went down to Washington, D.C. and set up the administrative office that's been issuing these passports based on the mandate in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. You see, not only does the Human Universal Declaration say that everyone has the right to leave their home and return to their country uh, and other key rights, but it also talks about how this is to be enforced. And it says every citizen, every organization, not just government, everyone in society is supposed to be enforcing and carrying out that Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So he took it upon himself to follow that declaration of the world and to do it. Hmm. All right, so let me get back to you before we lose the track here. Uh, Arthur has shared his perspective. What about yours in this regard uh, as we have been talking? Well, um, as far it was interesting what you said about now you found out a lot about your your ancestry, and it's basically if you go back, go back, go back, you know we're all related. We're all related. Um, so I think with new information, I think I feel like my worldview has changed as a white woman with the Black Lives Matter um, going on. I think I have become a well, I'm still evolving, you know, we all evolving, but I think that a new perspective has come upon, you know, one, I, I was like, okay, so I'm a woman, I'm like, I don't have as many rights as men, I don't get paid as well, you know, in my thinking, I was, you know, there was trouble living as a woman in the world. But then when you think about it, there's, you know, there's this racism thing. So it's basically boils down to, at any point in time, we can um, think a certain thing about a certain person. How many times has, uh, well, let's say Germany, a Germ oh, Germans are the enemy. Oh my gosh, oh no, the Russians are the enemy. You know, how many times have we changed our thinking about a people and then changed back? Oh, I want to go to Germany. That'd be so much fun. Or, oh, have you been to Russia? It's, it's great. So I think we're very adaptable. I think the problem stems in not realizing that we're being manipulated to behave poorly. So I kind of put it together as um, kind of like plants. If you're in the right environment, you do well, you do the right things. You're in a bad environment like war, you're not going to be yourself. You know, you're, star you're in an environment where you're starving or whatever, and there's only one bit of food left. You're not going to be the best person. You're not going to be. So we want to be our best, highest selves. And so we need to make environments so that make that happen. So by everyone thinking, okay, there are rights for every person and everybody is equal and start putting that into the norm, putting it into the story. Um, just right, right now, people are changing with this Black Lives Matter. White people are changing, not everybody, but it's, it's opening doors to realizing that you can have a different worldview. And it's, it is interesting too, uh, as, as I was watching a, a piece of a documentary I th actually, I think it was a news story and a gentleman who 
uh, is producing this particular podcast called uh, something along the lines of uh, asking the uncomfortable questions. And it's a black man. And he has different guests. Some of them are fairly notable. Mm -hmm. And he has them on and he asks them to ask the uncomfortable questions, whatever is on their mind. Mm -hmm. So one guy sitting there across from him, he says, okay, uh, what should I call you? Do I call you African-American? Do I call you black? Do I call you Negro? What do I call you? He says, well, uh, because not all blacks are African-American, call me black. And if we need to go any further than that, we will. Um, and I thought, wow, that's, that's rather interesting. I had not really thought about that. And I think that's the beautiful thing about what's going on today is that these questions, whether they be uncomfortable or not, are being addressed. Conversations are being had at a, at a level that is um, conducive to understanding. You're not screaming across uh, uh, protest lines at one another. You're wrong and I'm right. Uh, and... Um, it's, it's, I, 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 and I love this one phrase is, well, we may not both, we may both not be right, but we both could be wrong. Mm -hmm. mm. And it's like, yeah, that's entirely possible that we both have a skewed view of. Mm. Um, when, when uh, Gary Davis began this, um, this sojourn, this journey of his, uh, was there even a thought? Because it sounds to me as if it seemed to flow pretty well. I mean, he didn't really run into the kind of resistance uh, in terms of the process. Okay. And there's a difference between the process and the people. Okay. Uh, I, back in 1993, um, decided my first wife and I were going to buy a house. So we were shown this house and it met pretty much all the parameters that we wanted. The price was absolutely beautiful. Uh, three bedroom, two bath. Are you ready for this in 93? $43,000. Mm. And it was brick and the roof was fairly new and so on and so on. So I told my wife, here's what we're going to do. And you have to keep saying this Whenever obstacles come up or challenges, if you will, this is what we're doing. We are buying a house. That's it. We're buying a house. We're not fighting with the appraisers or loan officers or the title company or the homeowner's insurance company or any of that other stuff, which normally does come up throughout the process. We buy a house and whatever it is that we need to do to make that happen and we were done in 30 days. Hmm. We signed the documents on the 30th of September that year. Now that morning, I got a call from the insurance or from my realtor. He, has, he was picking up the papers and he says, you don't have any homeowner's insurance. I says, oh, yes, I do. I went with the ABC, whatever it was. So, but it's not here. And so I called the insurance company and they give me the run and uh, the, the song and dance and so forth. Well, of course, fortunately, 
title companies, they have uh, backup plans for just such a contingency. They have their own insurance. It's a little more expensive. But we signed off that more uh, that afternoon. We bought a house mm -hmm. and away we went. So it seems to me like that's kind of where Gary was. I want a world. I want to be a world citizen. Nothing else matters. Not the little details. Is that a fair assessment or did he run into well, a lot of obstacles along the way that maybe might have got him to thinking, you know, I don't know if this is worth it. Well, I think you're absolutely right. The obstacles were 34 jails. He's been thrown in 34 jails. <laughs> uh, and, and not a single one of them pays him. It was just like you. Oh, a jail? Wonderful. I'll get to proselytize, talk to people. Uh, you know, I, I have to, they, they, I have no money and I have to get from India to, to Germany. No problem. I'll start walking. My shoes have holes in them. No problem. Somebody comes up and a shoemaker offers to make fix his shoes for him. I mean, you know, he had just, uh, uh, he had that drive, like you said, and he had that determination. This is what I'm going to do. And nothing could divert him. So things that anybody else would have thought were horrible obstacles, impossible obstacles, overwhelming odds. I mean, he had all the nations of the world, you know, aligned up against him. You know, we had, on the one hand, we had Gary, and we had all the nations of the world, you know, saying, you know, you can't do this. People, he was, you know, he was, he, we have a wonderful scene in the movie where he's trying to get into Germany and uh, to rebuild the houses his, 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 that he had bombed. And uh, the, he, the, he shows the French officials his orders to leave France. They look at him, yes, you may leave. He takes a step forward, shows the German officials his, uh, his, 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 no, he didn't even have a world passport. This is before he had a world passport. He said, well, I'd like to come in and rebuild. Well, where's your passport? He said, well, I'm a world citizen. I don't have one. Uh, they, well, you can't come in. So he said, oh, okay, can I get a visa to go back into France? No, nope. okay, no problem. I'll just live here on the border. So for two months, <laughs> he's living on the border. Uh, it gets freezing cold. Uh, this, this beautiful young French woman comes up and, and starts talking with him, bringing blankets, tents. She ends up rallying the local people to build him a little hut right there on the border. Uh, he ended up, she ended up in the future being his wife. So I mean, he took that impossible obstacle and that turned around and turned out to be a, a, a boon to his life. Um, all kinds of uh, obstacles that would stop anybody else that never stopped Gary. <laughs> and that's the determination that it's going to take to make the changes uh, that we need as citizens of the world, as well as citizens of the respective uh, bordered countries that we happen to live in today to make the, the social changes uh, it's well, going to take great courage. Let me just add a footnote to the jails. Uh, Gary said, um, why wasn't I jailed for bombing and blowing up people in, in their homes and schools and factories? Uh, you know, why weren't the, the Germans who, who, bombed, who, who, who uh, killed my brother, why weren't they jailed? And, uh, and every time he was jailed, it was just for not having pieces of paper. I mean, you know, nothing, no crime, <laughs> just not on paper. And uh, he said, look, in every country of the world, killing people is illegal. Murder is illegal. But because there's no world, the world, the world is my country, but there's no country for the world, it's not illegal. You don't have to outlaw war. All you have to do is take the same laws, apply them at the global level. You can't kill people. You can't go out and blow up people's city blocks. You can't, you can't torture, rape people, or any of that. You know? uh, it's, it's nothing new. All we have to do, if we, if we recognize that our country is the world, no more wars, People, he said, what about civil wars? Well, 
that's two sovereignties, you know, but if we have one sovereignty, if people agree uh, on, on, on one government, then we don't have any wars. Oh no, world government, a scary government over all of us. He said, well, that scares me too. I don't want the force of power and money behind closed doors, creating some new, new, new world order. So he invented a new interactive system where we the people could, could govern our planet. Not majority rule where one side overrules the other and they lose and we win, but a collaborative, interactive, synergistic process built around a geodesic sphere model that Bucky Fuller developed where we're all interactively bringing out the highest and best wisdom of each individual and, of, and, and interacting with groups to come up with the best wisdom of that group. And just like we're doing all these Zoom meetings around the world now, uh, having special tools that help people on opposite sides of wars Zoom together and get to know each other and, and care about each other and, and not ask who's right and who's wrong, but what, what, are, what are the common things we all want? Well, we all want a better life for our children. We all want to be secure and you know, find our connection and find out the solutions, a solutionary, not a blame who's right and who's wrong, but a new solutionary system of governance that can lift us all and save the planet. What is your feeling, um, Melanie, about your role in what Arthur just described? Um, as kids growing up, I, I, I think we were sort of, um, uh, we were we were told that um, if we wanted to, we could change the world. But that was huge. That was monumental for a kid to think, oh, I can change the world. I'm just one person. What about your growing and changing philosophy as you've grown uh, as to your ability to change the world? Uh, to be a uh, change maker, so to speak, uh, or for that matter, to even have any kind of influence on anyone else, or plural, uh, in terms of, of uh, bringing about what I like to refer to as uh, shifting from thriving, uh, I beg your pardon, let me rephrase that, shifting from survival to Thrival, a word I have coined. <laughs> I love your new word, thrival. That's what kind of goes back to my thought about if you're in the bad environment, you're starving, you're fighting over that food. I mean, we, you know, you don't have crime in neighborhoods where people have, I have a car, I don't need to steal a car kind of thing. Um, as far as thinking you can change the world, I mean, it's important to know that we're not alone. And most people think how we think. And, and that is very comforting, I think, because most people don't want to kill other people. Most people don't want to see torture and misery and bombs. And most people uh, want this to work so I can go travel and I can buy stuff at the store and, and there's not misery. I don't have to see any homeless because there aren't any. You know, people really would love that and enjoy that. As far as thinking, you know, how can you make that impact? I think the most important thing is to, to know you can make that impact, period. You know, you do one, something super small, you uh, help somebody do something, your neighbor, whatever, that, that snowballs. That person is helped, they help another person. I mean, I think the, the sad thing is people sometimes use as an excuse, I'm just one person. And I think that is a tragedy because it shouldn't be scary. I don't think it should be scary to make the world a better place. It's just 
something you do because that's a good thing to do. And you want to see, especially if you have children or know people who have children or care at all about the animals or the plant life or anything like that, you should want what's best for this place. And um, we're just a part of it. I think um, people need to think about having children, whether they have children or not, because I think it's so in the norm that people just go ahead and have children. And it's kind of um, villainized if you don't have children. And that would be helpful if we had less people. Um, we would lose, we use less resources and um, we can turn things around faster. I think we could all do something. I mean, it's important to think about what you want to do, what makes you happy, but we also have to care. We do have to care about each other and the world in general because we're all sharing the same air, the same water. Um, if you know, and it's if you think about it, it's logical. And and I think the big thing is we're we're taught to live in fear. And once you're in fear, you change. You're not in your best environment. You're not your best person. You don't go out and ask the neighbor, oh, would you like to come to my house and uh, I can feed you dinner tonight? Or can I bring some food over? Or you want to share a garden together? Um, people just close and lock down and um, you're not your best self. And wouldn't you rather be your best self and then, and then influence others to be their best selves? And it just snowballs and we're not alone. Most people want a nice world that works for everyone. And most people want other people to be happy. And they, you know, the hatred thing really eats you alive. A person who has, has all this anger in themselves and, and hatred and fear you're, they're hurting themselves too. And it's a very sad way to live. And so I like to live in, in the, you know, walk in the light, as the George Fox song says, uh, mm -hmm. famous song, um, because I function better. I'm a better person and I see the world a bit as a better place. I'm not afraid. Um, and I feel good about doing the good that I do. And it doesn't mean you have to be a leader and, you, and we're, we're all leaders. We're all the people that all of us are changing the world as we move along through it. We are talking about the world is my country. And this has to do with a, a gentleman who, uh, going back a number of years before my time for the most part, uh, began this crusade, if you will. The World is My Country, the true story. This is a documentary, folks. You want to look it up, go to the website, uh, The World is My Country, and is it .com? Yes. Yes. All righty. Yes. Uh, it is the true story of the dancing, uh, the daring, controversial uh, decades ahead of his time. There's no question about that. World citizen number one, Gary Davis. And it's, he's a song and dance man desperate to stop a war, uh, pulls off an act of political theater so gutsy and eye-opening that it sparks a huge movement. Is how, how alive is that movement today, Arthur? Well, the, first of all, uh, uh, all over the world, we see incredible number of groups, as Melanie mentioned, coming together to solve problems, to be solutionaries, but specifically, the organization Gary set up, the World Service Authority that issues the passports, they're still thriving. There's a wonderful talk by the director, uh, David Gallup, in our club. We have a new, uh, the World is My Country Club for people who feel like this, they feel like world citizens, they want to have meetings every week and learn about how can we, we build this kind of world that we all want? How can we have the power to do that? Well, if you go to theworldismycountry.com and click on the club or go worldismycountry.com slash club, 
uh, you'll see David's wonderful talk. You'll see that these passports, not only he's one of the questions we asked, well, in this time of, you know, COVID and everything, people aren't traveling. How are people using the passport? Well, these passports, uh, even though they're not stamped, many countries won't stamp them now, they are still being vitally used by people. For instance, if, you're in, if, you, if you come to apply for asylum in the U.S. and you don't have papers, you can't even get into the courthouse to have your case heard. So you get mm -hmm. a world passport so you can get into the courthouse. People without papers can't get their children in school. They can't get their can't, children medical care when they need it because they don't have a birth certificate or passport. So they get a world birth certificate, a world passport, and they can... So this thing, this, these, these documents have saved so many lives. Take a look at our website. But that's just a step forward. The documents are just one part. The bigger part is, you know, joining, joining the World is My Country Club and figuring out how, how we the people can get past this mess we're in. Uh, you know, I was talking to a scientist friend who said, look, we're, we're past the tipping point. Uh, you know, humanity is doomed. Uh, we're, it's just too late. We're, the, the, the planet is going to be destroyed. You know, we, we didn't save it in time. And I said, well, you know, you're a scientist, and as a scientist, you project current trends, and, and that's very true as a scientist. I said, me? I'm a movie maker, and as a movie maker, I know just when things look the darkest, just when it looks there's no hope, when there's one avalanche and another and another turmoil, and it's just so impossible, finally, you know, the, the hero arises, gets the courage to turn around, saves the day, and we say, and, and, and saves the world. And so I asked, I asked Leonardo DiCaprio that question. You'll see this in the movie. I asked him, so Leo, in the movies, you know, the hero, hero ends up saving the world. Who's the hero who's going to save our world? And his answer was very interesting. Uh, he said, the hero is all us, all of us. This time it's all of us. He says, this has got to be a worldwide movement, people all over the world who care about the clean air and care about our planet coming together. And, 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 and we are the hero. We are our own hero. We're the one who's going to save us. Well, and of course, uh, in this era, as we are today, of uh, this uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, uh, that's the phrase that's constantly being used, that we're all in this together. And one of the things that strikes me so profoundly when I think about that phrase, I also think about a line from, uh, 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 from one of uh, John Denver's songs. Uh, he says, uh, basically, uh, it's all of us or none of us. Mm -hmm. um, you could say, yeah, we're on the Titanic. Well, there were people who survived. In this instance, it doesn't seem to me like if we don't all get on board in some fashion, swallow our, our national pride. Uh, you know, I, I, as I said earlier, I, there, are, there are days I just, I'm disgusted to think of myself as quote unquote an American. Human being, that's one thing. But an American who, if I go abroad, I am now representative of what? Of what? And it's so frustrating because uh, it would be nice. I mean, I, I like to think that, um, you know, I feel pretty proud uh, of myself when I think about uh, representing my family, uh, my father, my mother, the, the, the surname, you know. Uh, the family name, if you will. Um, you know, I feel really good about that. But it's just, it's like, th there's a certain level of dejection. And so now I have to find within myself, okay, how can I, how can I be a good example 
in spite of everything that everybody else around the world is seeing? Well, I would say maybe know, know that you're a world citizen. Really remember, you are a human being, like you said, and same thing, world citizen, human being, it's the same thing. So just say, I'm a world citizen. What, what nationality are you? Well, I'm a world citizen. It's probably the best advice of all. <laughs> when we go to the website, theworldismycountry.com, do we have the opportunity to watch that documentary? Um, or is it one of those where, and obviously due to the situation we're living in today, can't really schedule a screening in our communities per se. Although they're, they're starting to utilize drive-ins. They're starting to utilize drive-ins in some parts of the country. Uh, how is, is that, can we see that film, the documentary online? Yes, yes. We, um, in response to the crisis, we actually have two, our two shorts and the shortened version of the documentary that you'll want to see. Just go to theworldismycountry.com, theworldismycountry.com, and you, you'll see right on the first page where you can click to go see that, those three films together, free, right now. Well, it's and the, the three together, by the way, we're calling We Are One. Uh, we are one, and as you said, that's what people are recognizing today, and and that's what that's what this world is about. It, it's all one back here because <laughs> it's us. We're all on, you know, and we're all we're all on top of the world. That that means that we are really the key person. You know, we're, what are you standing on? You're standing on the world, uh, and since the world is round, each one of us is on top of the world as it rotates around. And so once we realize that, we realize that we have that power and we have to take our rightful place on top of the world and become not the, not the governed and the victims, but the governors of our small planet. I find it interesting, too, that um, we still have those various uh, leaders around the world who uh, want to control and they want to manipulate and do all of these things. Um, I was watching... Actually, I was interviewing a gentleman who uh, was uh, talking about uh, going back to many of the assassinations back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and he was putting all of these pieces together. And he was talking about uh, how the powers that be, uh, they want to do this, that, and the And I said, well, what is their end game? What, what is it that they're trying to accomplish, to, to achieve? And he said, basically, they're, the only thing they're trying to accomplish or achieve is power and control. And I thought, that's no end game. Uh, because even in a prison, you have two types of prisoners. You have those who were uh, arrested, tried, and convicted of a crime who were placed in the penitentiary to serve time. The other group of prisoners are the guards the ones who have to stay there to keep them in line. So for a guard to think that, oh, I'm not a prisoner. Well, but you go there every day and your life is potentially at risk. I mean, this is like, what, what kind of an end game is power and control? Uh, and of course the comment was made, well, but you're dealing with a bunch of narcissists, a bunch of egotists. The majority of the people on the planet um, maybe 7.5 to 6, because there are now 7.8, uh, are not narcissists. They just want to thrive. They just want to live the life. Exactly. That, that, you know, and that's what we're trying to promote on this program through uh, both uh, uh, New Paradigms for a New World as well as 2020, the year of perfect vision. 
uh, some, uh, then the question has been uh, sort of broached. Okay, so you get to December 31st, 2020, and then what? Well, hmm. it's not a simple, it's not a, a complicated uh, a question to answer. We yeah. then talk about the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision. Exactly. Well, I love and that. Just trying to maintain that place. I mean, I don't know about the two of you, but I live up on the, up on the uh, uh, old San Marcos Pass at the summit of 154. Uh, we live in the wilderness there in the Los Padres National Forest. Mm -hmm. And we have unbelievable experiences with the various uh, fauna out there that come across our path that drive our dog crazy. <laughs> and yet it's, it's just beautiful. I mean, and, and, and you know, and we, we love it. Right. Uh, and more people need to connect. What was uh, Gary Davis's connection to the natural world? How did he feel about nature? Well, he, he was very comfortable. Like I said, he would, uh, uh, he, he would sleep out in the open. He didn't care. He was, uh, he, he was pretty driven by his ideas, as you mentioned. But he, he also uh, uh, talked about natural law, you know, that in terms of nature, nature already has laws that we need to, to, to apply. And we need to live in accord with those laws or, uh, or you know, the species will terminate itself. Uh, and nature's laws are pretty inviolate. You can't just uh, <laughs> uh, violate them endlessly and expect to continue on uh, as, as an organism. So uh, uh, he thinks we're all, I think he felt, and you know, you have to watch the film. He's passed away, but we feel like we are carrying on his vision and his ideas. And we think when you join the club, you'll, you'll get to, uh, you know, I, was, I, I, I worked with him for a quarter of a century and I know very well the, the vision. And what you said is so important. Without vision, the people perish. Uh, and, and we need that 20 clear vision. And yeah. I think this movie is one thing that gives it to them. I also want to have other people join with us in creating a new movie that, that transports kids into the future that works, the people-powered planet. The, the, there's an incredible movie I just saw called uh, The Continuing Cosmos series. They're now carrying on, even though Carl Sagan's gone, they're, they're carrying on Cosmos. And it's a beautiful thing about how we can turn around every single one of the problems in the world. And you know, science, man, the incredible ingenuity of human beings have figured out solutions to, to every single problem, you know, whether it's how to get the ozone, the, uh, the carbon dioxide out of the air and, and uh, if people have, and, and to bring into something useful or how to, oh, they'd even incredible little things like they've made a, developed a plant species that'll detect where the landmines are and they'll turn red in that area and green in that area so people won't step on them or, you know, all kinds of things. What's blocking us from this incredible human ingenuity, this, this human race that can travel to the stars and create all these wonderful things, the only thing blocking us from our potential is these old broken political systems. These political systems were set up, they were a great advance forward in 1796, uh, you know, for separate colonies to pull together into one United Nations. Uh, that was an incredible step forward. But Thomas Jefferson said we needed revolution every 20 years. We weren't supposed to stop there. We were supposed to continue uniting and uniting and connecting around the planet. And instead, it's these forces of power and money that have kept us locked in these separate boxes of, uh, you know, if, if we can foment, you know, you know, it's very interesting. The same people are funding the different hate candidates around the planet. The people who are, are saying, oh, we hate the Italians, we won't let them, or we hate the blacks, we won't let them in, or we hate the, this group or that group because they know that by dividing and, and, and keeping us separate and fighting with each other, 
we can't claim our rights and, and, and we can't come together as a planet and, uh, and build our rightful place. And, you know, it's a very short term. You said, what's their end game? And I ask you the same question. I mean, their short term end game is their profits go up because they're keeping cheap labor. But it's a very short sighted thing. I mean, uh, Henry Ford said, we got to pay our workers decent wages or, or they won't be able to afford to buy cars. And uh, the court, the stockholders took him to court and the court said, no, you got to serve the stockholders. <laughs> this is crazy. So, you know, we, we, we've got to create a new economy and it's happening now. We're inventing new currencies. We're inventing other things. We people have got to uh, take our ingenuity and instead of hitting our heads against the wall, trying to fight the old system, it's like Bucky said, you never, you never change things by fighting the old system. We've got to start creating something new. We've got to create the vision of something new. That's the first step. And then we've got to start actualizing that vision. And when we do that, and, and, and we don't even have to, you know, sure, you have to get a little involved in politics to hold things off for a while. But you really, the key thing we have to do is to begin to build the tools, the platforms. And in our film, you see Gary's idea of having a smart gov interactive system where we're, we're all right here on our phones. And, and we're doing it now with Zoom. We're all on our phones and tablets interacting with each other finding ways to come together across political boundaries. We have a, a, every week we have a weekly e-club of world peace. And we have people in India and in uh, Israel and in uh, uh, Australia and all. We meet every Tuesday at 6.30. If you go online and look up Rotary e-club of world peace, anybody can come take a look at that. Barbara Mueller, your good friend, she's one of the founders of it. It's a fantastic e-club. And this week we have, this coming Tuesday, we have an incredible fellow as our speaker. It's a, uh, Don Grady, he was the chief of police when I was in Santa Fe, and he's an African-American who was, who was the chief of police of the Hispanic police force and had to make peace, bring that together. And then he went to work for the United Nations, and he had to went to Bosnia and Serbia, and these two police forces that had been literally at war with each other, killing each other's relatives and families and friends, he had to meld them together into one police force and figure out how do, how do we unite out of that ashes and, and get past that that hatred and come together. And he, and he did it. And it's amazing to hear his story. And it's very telling for today, where we're talking about, uh, you know, policing out of control, then how do we do real community policing? How do we make police uh, peacemakers instead of warriors and our uh, separating our community peacemakers bring it together. So you can tune into that. Uh, I'm sure Barbara would love to hear it. She wants to invite more people. Uh, come Tuesday at 630. Just click on the website the I just click Rotary E Club of World Peace. Just search that. You'll find the meetings. The Zoom meeting is right there online, and you can come uh, have a good time. <laughs> we're talking with Arthur Kanagas, and we're also speaking with uh, Melanie Bennett, and uh, she's the producer. He's the director. And uh, how long did it take you to put this film together, <laughs> Melanie? Well, let's see. I well, the, uh, the actual documentary. Uh, we greenlighted in uh, 2012, but um, I came on board in 2007. We were doing a, um, a screenplay and uh, thinking about doing the feature film first and the documentary first, and then ended up doing the documentary. So we've been working on it, uh, you would say for a while, but uh, <laughs> definitely uh, worth it. Feels so good to work on this project. I feel honored to have to say that I'm, I'm a part of this and have done this. So I feel uh, so proud and so um, grateful that we got it done, it's out there. And now we just need a lot of people to see it. We just want people to see the film. We're just asking people to see the film. Yeah.
Uh, yeah, we, put, I, we put a lot on the line, all our resources, you know, to make this happen. We didn't get funding from corporations or something else. It's our labor of love for the world. And, and it's something I've been in, working on in two decades out of, out of my love for the planet. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, how um, uh, I'm hearing certain corners of, of this country in particular, um, they're, they're really, really pushing the whole uh, patriotic and nationalistic uh, um, uh, message, if you will. And um, I heard somebody say not long ago, they would never pledge allegiance to a flag but they would pledge their allegiance to the people. Mm. Mm. And I realize the flag is a, a supposed to be a symbol of the country, you know, and so on and so forth. But I don't know. I, I would kind of tend to agree with that person that, you know, um, uh, my buddy who passed away in 2004, um, he had a bumper sticker on his blazer uh, that said, uh, uh, it's the, uh, it's, uh, how's it go? Uh, it's the, uh, I don't trust the government. It's the people I trust. Very well. Well, yeah, my dad actually raised us to the same thing. He said, you know, I pledge allegiance to this rag. I mean, it's a rag. It's a piece of cloth. Why are we <laughs> giving our allegiance to a, to a rag? You know, yeah. give our allegiance to the people, to, to, the, to the planet, to the people we care about. And, and as Gary said, you don't have to give up your national citizenship. You know, you're you're a citizen. It's concentric circles. I'm a citizen of my well, of my family and my community and right. my my city, my state, the world, the you know, our, our bioregion. All these things. We add concentric citizenship and we connect with the whole. And that's actually what the process of human beings have been. That's the biological process of going from, you know, from a single cell to multiplying, connecting, interacting. And we're really part. This whole Zoom thing that's happening around the world. That's part of beginning to create what, you know, what, what has been called like almost a, a neural network of humanity, humanity discovering itself, coming together. And there's a lot of birth pains as, it, as we, uh, you know, have stepped backwards and we have things left over from the old. And as the old shell cracks, just like when, you know, when, if a chicken is born, the old shell's got to crack. But, but something new is emerging and it's emerging around the planet and it's happening incredibly where, you know, I mean, we, we, we even step back to look at it, you know, right now, what, what used to take months to research, you, 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 before you finish typing your question, the, the, the search engines have searched all the information in the world and brought the top thing right to what you need. Well, we need a way where we are all interacting and where the interaction and the, what the hopes and needs of humanity are amalgamated into, into the will of the people. Every constitution, every, the, the universal, the, 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 the Declaration of Independence says it is the right of the people to institute new government. That's, that's right there in our Declaration. Yeah. Yeah. All the constitutions reflect that. The, uh, the, and Gary would say, uh, and, and, and of course, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights says the authority of government, that, 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 that the will of the people shall be the basis of the authority of government. But we haven't created a way to express the will of the people at the global level. Now, at the 75th anniversary of the UN, the UN is actually asking us, they're asking for a global conversation on the future we want and the UN we need. And we've been a lot of us involved in interacting and putting information to that because when we create that vision of the future we want, 
we can create, carry it out. So we can't sit back and wait and say, oh, governments are gonna fix it, or this politician or that guy. Those guys, Gary would say, wait a minute, why are we, these guys are the guys we, we hired. We, 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 we're the sovereigns, we're the ones who create government. Why are we knocking our heads against the wall trying to convince this old broken system to fix itself? Why don't we people just get together and do it? We're, you know, we have that power, but we don't think so. We've been trained out of it. We forget that we're, we are actually, the collective sovereigns, Gary never believed in like individual sovereigns. Oh, I run off and do my own thing. But collaboratively, we are the sovereigns who can govern our world. It's interesting, too, when you take a look at the attitudes that people have today, especially and specifically about what to do or not to do about this, uh, this virus, for example. And we have such a great divide. And I, I pose this, you mentioned the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. It talks about how we have these inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, those are just three that they mentioned, but they said there were more. But it all, there's also the phrase in one of our other founding documents that talks about uh, how, um, you know, we, we hold these uh, truths to be self-evident um, and that also... Uh, we are here to promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Well, how do you balance Mr. Constitutionalist out there who doesn't want to wear a mask, who doesn't want to stay six feet away, who doesn't want to wash his hands on a regular basis, who says the Constitution gives me the right to do what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. How do you balance that against promoting the general welfare and securing the blessings to our posterity, which is your children and your children's children and your great-grandchildren, and the list goes on. If you end up dying and you end up killing other people in the process, your civil rights, they don't mean a thing. Well, if you want to, you want to like kill to... yourself, okay, but don't take others with you. I think that's yeah. the key thing. I think, I think the problem stems not from people wishing hurt on other people or not caring about other people. I think the problem stems from lack of information or wrong information or um, manipulative kind of information. So to get people to do things like that because they're risking their lives as well, the lives of their, their loved ones, you know, and, and, uh, I think, you know, the sad part is you have wonderful people who, uh, they're just wonderful people, but you give them wrong information, then you behave differently. And, so, and, and I think we do really have to respect all points of view. I would, I, like Gary said, we should be creating the positive. We shouldn't even be arguing with them because, you know, there are people, for instance, in Sweden, uh, they decided, okay, we need the herd community now. Maybe that more people are dying temporarily, but maybe they're building an immunity later. Maybe not. I mean, no one knows for sure how yeah. all this works. And mm -hmm. and so there, you know, there, as long as you're not imposing it on somebody else. I mean, if other people don't want you not wearing a mask and you're walking around and doing it, you're imposing something on them. But if there are people who think, okay, I don't mind. Uh, I'm strong and healthy, and if I contract it, I'll build up my herd immunity. I mean you know, I'd say let them have their right to do that. Just don't impose it on anybody else. Uh, yeah. uh, so there is a certain argument to it. They're not necessarily, uh, you know, crazy to do that. Uh, but it's the, it, it's just the, just don't impose what you want on others. I think that uh, that as we talk about this a little bit, 
Um, uh, you know, and we, we want to be kind. At the same time, we'd like to get the message across that, uh, you know, fine, if you live in a house all by yourself and you want to self-isolate, not wear a mask and wash your hands and so forth and so on, great. Uh, but think about other people who, the based upon the information they have, they want to, they want you to stay away. So right. I came up with a little slogan that uh, I don't know if it's catching on or not, but it's uh, wash up, mask up, and step back, mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what we do here at the radio station. We're now letting one person from a program in uh, to do their program. We've got plexiglass up, we've got Lysol, we've got wipes, we've got hand sanitizer. Um, we provide each programmer with their own windscreen for the microphone uh, and we keep it in a paper sack under the counter and they get it each time they come in and so forth. So we're, you know, and we're wiping down doorknobs and whatever needs to be taken care of so that not only our programmers are kept safe, but we're kept safe. I mean, mm -hmm. I have a wife who is in the high risk uh, area because of her age. I just turned 60, so I guess I'm in the high risk area at the low end, but I'm still there. But, yeah. you know, and I will do everything I can. Yeah. There's still no guarantee any more than there's a guarantee that when I leave here today and I walk outside, I won't get hit by a bus. You know, yeah, you just want to do what you can and exactly information you have. And this is a, you could say this is, this is a horrible pandemic, but there are worse ones, you know? And, and so oh, yeah. every, you could, you know, maybe get it and die and, and there's no other, it's, yeah. you know, at least this one, you know, there's more chances for people, but uh, yeah. people have to keep in mind, um, you just want to do the best you can and tr try to keep it so it doesn't spread and mm -hmm. you don't give it to other people. Exactly. I want to thank the two of you for joining us, Arthur Cunigas and Canigas uh, and, uh, and, and uh, Melanie Bennett for joining us here on the program, sharing with us not only about this documentary, but about some of the, the philosophical pinning, underpinnings of, of having a one world country, okay? Um, we're not, you know, and, and I know you're not talking about the new world order as has been depicted. I, I remember back in the mid 80s, I interviewed a gentleman by the last name of Epperson who wrote this really thick tome about the new world order mm -hmm. and all of the conspiracy theories and all of the other stuff, the Freemasons and the Trilateral Commission and the Illuminati and today now I think they incorporate aliens into the mix. I don't know, but it's like that's not what we're talking about. And we're talking about uh, preserving the individual's rights to be who they are, to pursue what they want as far as what they want to do with their lives. My father told me many years ago, get a job you love to do because you're going to be doing it for a long time. And I, I have to say, I've been very lucky that I've been doing that for 40 plus years. Even though if the job were still available, I would go back to delivering papers, being a paper boy on a bicycle because mm -hmm. of the people I met and the, just the stories they tell me and the experiences that I had. I, it was a lot of fun. But uh, again, I thank the two of you for, for uh, following uh, the lead of uh, Gary Davis and sharing with us this documentary as well as other works. And again, the website is theworldismycountry.com. 
I have three final questions for the two of you. Uh, and um, uh, before we uh, get to that, let me just let our listeners know that this program is here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We are streaming live at those times, as well as podcasts that are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Tune in radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and many other locations where folks are reposting these interviews. And if you'd like to help us out, we do have PayPal and Patreon accounts for financial support and whatever you can give, we greatly appreciate it. We thank those who have given and who will give. And uh, we encourage you to go to our guest website, which in this case is theworldismycountry.com. So I'm gonna bounce this back and forth uh, with the three questions. And I'm gonna start with you, Arthur. Okay. <laughs> and then, and of course, Melanie, you're gonna get a chance. You're gonna get a chance to think about it, aren't you? <laughs> so the first question to, to the two of you and Arthur, you'll start is, who is Arthur Kanagas? <laughs> um, Arthur Kanagas is a, is a boy at three years old who said, that, Daddy, why don't they take all the guns and melt them down and turn them into doorknobs? And uh, ever since, I've been uh, thinking about how do we open the doors to, uh, to peace and a better world. Uh, that was the thing my parents were passionate about and that I've... Uh, carried on through my life uh, and so my, my dad had a little saying he printed up on cards he said uh, back in the 1940s seek not to contest with evil lest ye be taken by the spirit of contention rather concern yourself with goodness for in goodness is the leavening that makes the whole loaf rise if we can concern ourselves with that goodness and we can create that goodness we can help the whole loaf rise it may just be a tiny thing but that leavening that makes it rise. And uh, Melanie, who is Melanie Bennett? Oh, no, I was ready to say, who is Arthur Canigans? Just kidding. <laughs> um, nice oh, try. Nice try. Anyway, um, well, I would say I, I really love, um, I'm more of a doer. Melanie is a doer. She likes to stay positive and happy and be in that light. Um, she likes to... Uh, think of uh, how the world, the future will be and is excited about a wonderful future and can't wait to see all the great things that are going to happen. Um, so I would say I'm just, but, but evolving. I'm evolving at every moment. So you have to ask me again in five minutes. Okay. <laughs> Next question. Melanie, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Oh my gosh, I would love it so much if people saw this film and just did one thing for me, just one simple thing, and just started saying I'm a world citizen and thinking of themselves as a world citizen and, and really just incorporating that into their lives. If they, people do that for me, I would be so grateful and thankful. And Arthur, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Well, uh, I'd like to be the spark that helps us, uh, helps, helps bring people together and empower them to create the world we choose. And third and final question, Arthur, what is your life's purpose? 
Well, my life's purpose is, uh, is and has been from, from the beginning uh, to uh, help give people that vision you were talking about, that, that, that 2020 clear vision of the kind of positive future we can create, and, and then to show them the path, show them stories, tell them to be a storyteller. Uh, Gary's, Gary's story is so riveting because he's a fascinating storyteller. People aren't convinced by facts and figures. They're moved by stories. And I want to be uh, telling the stories that help bring us into that clear vision that help us build the future of our dreams. And so we can do it, folks. And Melanie, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to be a problem solver and inspire people to know that they can do the things that, you know, their, their life's purpose. So um, it's also to just inspire people for a better future. In other words, um, let's just open our minds to the possibility that we do, this all works out and it is a great future. Well, Melanie Bennett and Arthur Kanegas, I thank the two of you for joining us on the program today, producer and director, respectively. Uh, it's been a great pleasure, and I look forward to having you back on again as we move further forward through 2020 uh, and headed for uh, the first, uh, the second, I, I'm going to call it the second year of the decade of the 20s nice. uh, and uh, see where we are, see how far we've come and and how much more work we have to do and how we can get involved in that work. And that would, of course, be going to the website, this, the world is my .com. And I want to thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Please remember 2020, the year of perfect vision. Please spend some time in that calm, uh, calm place, that peaceful place. And also, please, please, please wash up, mask up, and step back. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to lull.